Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 59 of the Pursuit of Love podcast. Happy Friday. Hope you're doing well. I suppose that really doesn't make much sense because you could be listening to this on any day. But anyway, it's Friday right now. We do this every single Friday. My name's Steve Clayton, one of the co-directors of the Outbound Game with my good mate and business partner, Darcy J. Smythe. How are you today, my friend? Good man. And I'm on a new microphone. Doesn't it sound crispy? Is it crispy? I can't hear it. Sweet, yeah. sweet tones of Darcy yeah. J. Smith. <laughs> mm, those yeah. sweet little mid-tones, that treble. It's coming through nicely. <laughs> All about Keen. that treble. <laughs> uh, but we've also got the infinite, infamous Diff Crowther on the line Or the well. infinite. Infinite. No, I'm not quite there yet. I'm <laughs> <laughs> working on it. The infinite, infamous <laughs> Diff Crowther. He's got a gin in hand today, ladies and gentlemen. That means I the do. philosophy. The philosophy is going to be ripping through. It'll be flowing. <laughs> flowing. <laughs> lubricated uh i've got a beer i've got a bolter beer um not proudly sponsored by bolter but if you want to reach out to us bolter uh, you're welcome to uh, Go for it. sponsor the thing um and das you've got a cold spring water 7-eleven you <laughs> spring water um 7-eleven if you would like to reach out you're doing a tough podcast you're doing a tough das yeah i'd be keen to have a chat because i'm pretty parched <laughs> Yeah, it's good times. It's good times. So we just finished our whiskey webinar last night as well, which is also another sort of content piece we do once a month where we're more deep on the business side of things. But we did a uh, we did a sweet whiskey webinar with HubSpot last night, which was good fun. So uh, yeah, yeah that's Laura and Nick from HubSpot. Great to have yeah. them on. Yeah, it's really fun. So we're doing a lot more partnerships. We're doing a lot more, uh, you know, collaborations. We don't have another guest again this week. Uh, yeah, so we've let you down on that. Apologies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how you been, boys? Good week. Big Great week. week. Big week. Big week. It's um, it uh, it was great because I was down in Toowoomba this week. Obviously, catching up with both of you guys and Super Bowl. Yeah, Super Bowl Monday. Super Bowl Monday. Which was good. Um, for those of you that don't know the result, uh, we're about to spoil it for you because it's been five days now. You should have checked the result by now. <laughs> should, um, should have absolutely. I just feel like the Rams stole it. They stole it. Yeah. Like it was oh. Bengals all the way. I thought it was a lock and they just ripped it out of their oh, hands. I don't, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, there was a, there was basically no flags the entire game. Then we got three flags in a row right at the end there. And that made a huge difference. But there was a missed, missed face mask on that Bengals touchdown. Yes. Yeah, and so cool. I think it goes both ways. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I do think the Rams were the better team, but only mm. probably in the first quarter and the last quarter. The second, the middle two quarters were Bengals all the way. And I'll, yes. I was going for Bengals. But I think it was neck and neck, man. It was a good game. Uh, mm. We were talking about this. Steve and I were talking about this on the drive home. Diff, you're probably the biggest NFL fan out of us all. In your expertise, do you believe that that is the last time Cincinnati will get that close to a Super Bowl ring for the next 20, 30 years? Like, are they are they not meant to be there as it was? No, not. A, I mean, it was so good to see a team that no one would have expected at the start of the season. Yeah. And that... Uh, and that wasn't one of the just the constant teams that we're used to seeing, you know. As much as I'm a Patriots fan and a Tom Brady fan, and I would have liked <clears throat> either the Patriots or Tom Brady to get up. I was so glad that there was a team other than kind of the top six guys that have been around for a long time in there. Mm. Um, whether or not they'll be back again, just depends. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't know enough about the Bengals to know who's going on free agency and who they're going to lose. But they got some quality there. And the interesting thing is, when you think about who they've got, they've got two great players in Burrow and Chase. And then everything else, they just kind of get scrappy, really good coaching. They never give up. They get really scrappy. They don't have a lot of superstars and they are teams like that are fun to watch. You know, every mm. game that the Bengals played in the second half of the season and in the playoffs was just like 
what is going on here? How does this happen? The fact that they won the uh, the uh, the championship game against the Chiefs was nuts. The way that mm. that game finished, it was one of the best playoff seasons I've ever seen. That's um, right. So yeah, look, will they make playoffs again next year? I reckon they will. Yeah, I, um, I reckon they will as long as as long as they don't get injuries. But right now in the NFL, injuries determine everything. Yes, you know, and that's why you know Mike. Uh, uh, that's why Vrabel got the coach of the year because somehow the Titans still got up there and did so well, even by losing after losing Derrick Henry, their star, you know, mm-hmm. but injuries are determining so much at the moment. If they lost Burrow or Jamar Chase, they'd be cool. Yeah. So, so no guarantees, but I think everything going well, they'll at least be very close to playoffs, if not playoffs next year. You heard it here first, team. Go to sportsbet.com, put your hands on. <laughs> Mate, if anyone had money on the Bengals making the playoffs this year at the start yeah. of the season, they would have cleaned up because no one expected that. In yeah. other news, it was good to see uh, Fitty Cent hanging up the, upside down like a bat. <laughs> what, what a blast from the past. What was he doing? <laughs> and you know what? It almost looked like he'd been stuck up there for the last 15 years. And then finally they opened the doors again and he just swung on down. Like, oh, finally. Oh, good. No one even noticed he was gone. No. What happened to True, you, True, actually. I didn't realize he was gone. No. He's yeah. put on some weight, the poor lad. And so his ankles hanging been... upside down will yeah. do his for 15 ankles, years. His yeah. ankles must have been just very robust. Uh, but uh, speaking of that, team. Speaking of robust ankles, I'm, I'm interested <laughs> to see how you make that, How's how the you make that transition. Uh, unexpected things absolutely going off. Very good. That's not bad. Not you bad. take the ankles out of it and you did a good job there. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead, Steve. Go on. You've earned Mate, it. we've been going deep deep dog into the nft world and it's been it's been so interesting one to be just amongst it and like peeling back the layers of the onion and seeing what the what the public believe and see about it and then just like trolling through OpenSea. and for those that don't know what OpenSea is it's equivalent to like the ebay of the the nft world mm. uh speaking to our accountants about it you know, and mm. then just seeing them go, oh, uh, we've never really come across this before from a, mm. how do we, how do we account for it? It's just a crazy thing, isn't it? It's one of those things where people, one, have no idea really what it is still. It's in that early, early adoption phase, I would say. Um, but such fun to get amongst in terms of like how I believe COVID has literally like pushed us and by the way because i've said that word our ratings will now be zero no one will no one will listen to this why what's that <laughs> mate the algorithm you notice what this? word did you say the c word oh you're not allowed to say COVID. if the more you say COVID or vax or anti-vax or you know conspiracy we're gonna have is that, four, is that real four, legit man we're gonna have like four listens on this episode now so anyway we'll see what happens fight the system wow. refer well, this to your friends I want, to see, yeah, yeah, I want yeah, to see yeah. the algorithm get we'll, ruined. We'll give you, we'll give you I an update. I can't believe that, Steve. We'll, That's nuts. We'll, all right, we'll try it. We'll give, we'll give you an update on next week's episode. Um, one, we're talking about NFTs today, so we're going to have a nice clickbaity kind of uh, mm-hmm. title. So we should have more listens this week. But if it's like no listens this week, we'll let you know how many listens we had. And so, yeah, please share it with your friends. Uh, forward, it to the, forward it to your people. Um, but anyway, side note. But it's legit. It's, uh, it's really it's interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's been interesting to see how that has just catapulted new ways of doing everything. Hey, we were catching up with our accountants yesterday and they're moving to like a nine day fortnight, moving to a four day work week. 
and then they're looking to um you know they've got clients all around australia and uh, a lot of them were remote and they were always before covid were like we can only do it face to face. You have to come and see me. And then they also had the idea of like, oh, admin stuff. Yeah, this whole remote work won't really work for them or the four day work week. How do we do? But this whole like two years of chaos has meant everyone's kind of like, eh, maybe we could do things a little differently. And I reckon it's like, it, I reckon it's sped up like 10 years of where we we're inevitably going to end up anyway. Or maybe more, like in many ways. <laughs> what push would people needed a push to re to reconsider the way that they worked, you know, because you just get so used to doing the same thing all the time. Mm. Mm. 10 years to say that it would have happened inevitably in 10 years. I mean, I don't, I don't think so. You need push, you know, history is all of these things like pushes, you know, mm. the, the, what, what you need every time for a big change is for something force. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Well, let's do a quick fire round before we spend most of the, this uh, episode talking about NFTs. Cause I'm, I'm keen to unpack it and, and have a good chat and just you know share what we're learning about it and, and where we see utility and use case for it. But uh, quick fire round. What are you guys seeing as some of the major things that have been so uh, been been full of resistance, as in ah, it'll never go that way or it will never make that work. But now everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. We can we can make it happen. What comes to mind straight away? The first thing that comes to mind is shoves us straight back into the NFT land, which is crypto. Yes. Crypto was like, it, it's here to stay, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and more and more money being poured into it every day. Uh, some of the biggest, you know, financial uh, kingpins of the world are, are backing it to the hills, you know, because they can see the future of it moving forward. But that would definitely be one of the most major of recent times, I would say. Um, I, I remember I had a particular mate. He told me, you know, buy Bitcoin. He would have told me that about, geez, four years ago, I reckon it would have been. And I'm like, ah, oh, nah, mate, I don't know, don't know if it's for me. He's like, just do it. Trust me. I've done my research. I've checked it all out. I know what this is about. I know what's going on here. Buy crypto, buy Bitcoin. And I never did. And I reckon I'd represent 99% of people who heard about Bitcoin at that time. Ah, totally. Nice, whatever. Um, so that would be definitely one I'd suggest, Steve, is um, the crypto world. It's gone wild and only growing, growing further. What about you, Diff? Mine, well, yeah. I'm not great at contemporary things. Mine's not COVID related. But in 1440, the printing press really you know, dramatically changed the world. Uh, mm. All of a sudden, you could mass produce books. That was, I think that's singly one of, the, one of the top five inventions that changed the world. Every mm. book... <clears throat> prior to the printing press was handwritten you got to get your head crazy. around that right like That's every bible wild. so this is what people would do in monasteries they dedicate their life to writing the bible by hand and so bibles themselves were really prized possessions but books in general obviously really prized possessions printing press changed it all meant that everyone could own their own bible and was one of the most integral things to the reformation Without the printing wow. press, the Reformation can't really get going because the idea that every individual can own a Bible and interpret it for themselves without the Catholic Church, you can't do that. There's not enough Bibles getting around. Printing press, number one for me. Huge. Wow. Another one is uh, the internet. Yeah. Um, if you can Google the, the internet is a fad and watch what comes up. Oh, of, yeah. Back of, in the day. Yeah. People speaking out about this whole internet thing. Just It's going to be bust. It's, the world won't go that way. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's childish all of it 
that's another big one of recent times. Oh, here's a theory yeah. for on, you on then. That note, actually, sorry to sorry to skip beat on what I even I just said. Uh, back to the Bibles. <laughs> Forget what I just said. Back to the Bibles. Um, it's a good motto some... in general. Forget what <laughs> I said. Back to the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, is there still out there today, like handwritten Bibles that would be antiques now, worth four hundred and fifty thousand dollars? Oh, absolutely. Well, not even coins. not even. Not even yeah. worth that sort of money, but like sitting in sitting in museums. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Wow. Obviously, the Dead Sea Scrolls that they found; these are handwritten things from from way, way, way back. Mm. Um, but yeah, absolutely, that's that's all out there, written on vellum, so you know, kind of on a really thin leather, so that it lasted a long time, not paper or anything like that. Wow. So these are huge, big leather bound tomes. Amazing. You, and you know, they would have said the same mistake, thing, would you? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure they probably did. Imagine like you do oh, this. That's right. They had white out in the. 1400s intricate full page and you get right to the end last character. in the beginning damn it. dog created oh damn it <laughs> <laughs> no but people would people would have been naysaying the printing press just like they're naysaying the the internet you know well, here's like, a theory oh, this for printing you press thing that's not going to kick on yeah here's Books. a theory here's a theory for you then uh if if there's high public resistance i.e i.e uh Nah, 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 nah. Like, is it, oh, the internet's a fad. Ah, the printing press. Ah, ah, ah crypto. Ah, NFTs. Is that a sign that that's actually, it's probably going to happen? No, not at all. No, you can't draw that correlation because. Thank you, thank lot, you Darcy. Oh, like, I want to go that. there with you. I want to be like with you, mate. But ultimately, the world's been pretty against like murder for a while. No, I'm talking, everything, about, I'm talking everything. about technological advancement. Okay, well, I'm then specify like, that then. Even oh, well, then, what you're sure really we saying is... Talk- we weren't talking about murder five minutes ago. We were talking about flipping Bitcoin. I, well, I didn't know that. I have that logic, that. Guys, sorry. That, that sorry. logic is saying if you have an idea and everyone says it's bad, it's <laughs> definitely good. good. <laughs> no, but I'm meaning right. mass it could just consensus. Be bad. <laughs> I'm meaning mass consensus. God, oh, like mass murder. Myself. Oh, you guys <laughs> are idiots. <laughs> no, I'm not an idiot. I'm, I'm not in the murder okay. land. I'm I'll get back saying- to my original point. Most people right now are saying NFTs, they're just a flipping PNG. They're never going to happen, but I'm pretty confident that it's going to happen. Okay. Okay. But the point is whether or not the, uh, whether or not they fall apart really quickly, like they're going to happen. I've got no doubt about it. They're happening now. I mean, they're worth, they're worth a crap ton now. Are they going to last is a different question because the dot-com bust, you know, uh, for example. Now, the, the internet naysayers could easily have said at the dot-com bust, oh, yeah, I told you so. And they wouldn't be completely wrong. It's just that things evolved and changed, right? Like like we've been discussing with NFTs, I think the stupid, crappy art version of NFTs isn't going to last that long. There'll be some that might be valuable, but it's perceived value. It's all agreed value. So, you know, who's to say that it's going to stay like that for a long time? Well, that's just, that's, that, that's based upon the whim of the mob, but mm. NFTs connected to real life value. Now that's a different thing. And I think that's the evolution of NFTs. So if you think about the dot-com bust, it's not like the internet stopped at that point in time, no. everything, everything just evolved. And all of a sudden now the internet took on the new form that it needed to take. So the naysayers were kind of right. But the thing that you got to remember is things don't generally disappear. They just evolve, right? Mm. Cars, bikes, that's what I mean. these that's things what don't I'm, disappear. They evolve. At. That's what I'm getting at though. Like how many people go, let's go five years ago, even. We're saying like uh, Bitcoin, 
Ah, uh, yeah, look. not And Darcy kicked off with this thing by saying, Bitcoin, never going away. It's here to stay. You know, like go back five years ago, 10 years ago, seven years ago, whatever it was. There was so, that was mostly naysayers, you know. Okay, so maybe the point is there's no completely bad ideas. There's bad times. There's bad manifestations of the idea. But every bad idea is just a couple of stages of evolution away from a really good idea. No, not every. There's just flat out bad ideas. (laughs) There is. Okay, so how do we distinguish what's a bad idea and what's just not ready yet? Oh, murder. I mean, yeah, (laughs) you draw the line at murder. (laughs) I mean... That's probably going to such a philosophical point that not even well, Diff could go there unless he, about, unless he does reach infinite state. This, pos- <laughs> this podcast is about the blend of business, philosophy and psychology. So why don't yeah. we go there? How do you know if it's a good idea? At the end of the day, a good idea, if <clears throat> it depends, oh, this is hard, but it depends on what you mean by good, right? And that's a really big question. So Aquinas, for example, has got three levels of good, the virtuous, the useful and the pleasurable. And they go in stages. And to say a good idea, really probably what we mean right now is an idea that sells. That's not virtuous, necessarily even mm. useful or pleasurable. It's just something that sells. And that, I think, is a really difficult thing to pick. Yeah, The people that have been able to pick what's going to sell, that's, that's a different thing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. Are NFTs good? Personally, I got no the idea. Things again, Diff? The, the virtuous? Yep. The useful and the pleasurable. These are the three stages of good, right? Uh, and, and, in, and in that kind of order going down. Define right? virtuous. Yeah, yeah that's a tough us, one. Give us, and give us some definitions on all three, yeah. So obviously Aquinas is coming from a uh, theological perspective. And, yeah, and obviously, I mean, and if, I mean, if you don't know that, you're an idiot. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, Darcy. Thomas Aquinas was a medieval theologian. Darcy, you need to ditch your water church. for a whiskey, mate. You're in a bad mood today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do you need a panadol, lad? Or what's what's I, I do apologize. What's going on, mate? Who hurt you? Who hurt <laughs> you, Darcy? <laughs> Thomas Aquinas hurt you. <laughs> so he, so, so the virtues are coming. His perspective of virtues being the highest order of the good is because he believes that you know virtue is the telos, the purpose of humanity to achieve virtue, to become the best version of yourself would be kind of a modern way of saying that, right? Right. And when he's talking about virtues, he's talking about the cardinal virtues and the and the and the virtues, the the spiritual virtues. Um, so that's prudence courage um patience faith stuff like that right um all the stuff that's hard to do yeah exactly that's the point Mm. and but these are goods that are good in and of themselves yeah they don't need to be determined by any other kind of good that comes from them then you've got useful goods and useful goods are goods that are number two there that's the second good right useful yeah. yeah and they're useful in the sense that they are utilized in order to achieve the virtues. So you can see it kind of goes up, right? And something is not necessarily good just because it's useful. Uh, Great quote. One of my favorite quotes from a guy called uh, Cardinal John Henry Newman, who said that while the useful is not always good, the good is always useful. So focus on what's good and it's going to be useful. But if you only focus on what's useful, useful for what is always the question that's begged right Mm. and then the pleasurable so you know pleasure is the lowest form of the good it's still good but actually for us these days 
we kind of knocked out the top one because that's either too hard or we don't really believe it exists. And then we fluctuate between these two, useful and pleasurable. But ultimately, mm. most of the time, pleasurable is what's taking the lead. And the things that are useful, we only really determine as being useful if they serve access to the pleasurable. Yeah, it's true. It's like the it's like we've flipped those in the opposite order. Yeah, right? absolutely. We've inverted the whole thing. Virtues, yeah. we've completely questioned whether they exist at all. Useful is only really that useful if it leads to some kind of pleasure. And so when we say, oh, it, how do we know if this thing's going to be good or not? Uh, a good idea. Well, good according to what standard? And, you know, that's the thing that I'm always going to come back to is unless you've got a universal standard of good, then it's, it's completely relative. And good could simply mean that it makes some money. And good might mean it makes 20 bucks. You know, you're just like, yeah, that was a pretty good idea. Got 20 bucks out of it. You know, like mm. <laughs> not necessarily a good idea. Got $20 billion out of it. Maybe it's a better idea because you assume if it's made $20 billion, it's tapped into the, a, a basic human need that people have. Mm. Anyway. Well, that's actually a pretty good. That's actually a pretty good framework for figuring out what's a good idea. Because here's the thing you say it's like sellable, but like anything that is sellable over a sustained period of time has to be adding value. Otherwise, it just doesn't. It just doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? Like money, money just doesn't work like that. Right. It's but the it's, value, but the value is based upon pleasure as the highest good. Right. And so the pleasure of owning an NFT is the pleasure of owning an NFT. Like there's no other end that it goes to other than the feeling that it gives you to say, I got the NFT. Interesting. Yeah. But this is what I'm seeing, right? Like, so two, two big celebrities right now in the world, that are just killing it, I would say, in terms of global recognition and just growth, I would say. And those two people is Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. Now, Joe Rogan's come under fire recently, obviously. Has he released an NFT of any kind? No, he's dead against them. He thinks they're stupid. Interesting. Is he really? Yeah, he thinks they're dumb. Mostly because he just doesn't get it, but he's just like, nah, I'm too busy. I got, why would I bother? And I get that. Enough. But he's come under fire recently, right? Because, you know, he's arguably the most powerful uh, news broadcaster, for lack of a better term, in the entire world. And mainstream media do not like this. So that's, I think, a big part of it. But what's got him through is a lot of people said, no, Joe is a good, honest man. He, he is what he is. And, it, and, and that's, you know, he's not, he's not trying to be anything that he's not. I do not know how anyone can have a go at Joe when when you listen to the actual podcast in question, all he does is challenge and question everything that's yeah. said. Jamie, look that up. Look that up. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, he's like, like, that doesn't sound right. You know, like that's a... Why are we angry at that? Good on him. Suppose, he's doing exactly yeah, what we should be doing. Him, the person, absolutely, I agree. But him, the brand, the I brand. think, is what people are annoyed at. Yep, yeah, fair enough. Because well, I think because he's too successful. Yeah, something to do with that maybe. But the, the brand is what leads to the spreading of what people are calling misinformation. And it's Him, like guilt by association, you know, like unfortunately, mm. if a whole bunch of anti-vaxxers like you, then you must be a bad, you must be bad, you know. Yeah. It's guilt by association, regardless of whether or not he believes or doesn't believe it. Mm, yeah, that's 100%. interesting, isn't it? Mm. But his, his virtues have got him through it, you know, like he's he come out and he made his little, little uh, announcement and, you know, he's... He got his weird sort of like compilation where he's saying some pretty uh pretty awful words, and then they've kind of taken that out and he's put it out of place. But he, again, his his response was virtuous. I would say he's like, "Hey, look, I'm just, yeah, got it wrong, but trying to do the best I can, and I think I can do this better." And I never really thought I'd 
kind of this would turn out. I'm just having chats with people and whatever. His stuff is really useful. I think a lot of people learn a lot from it and it's pleasurable. It's like it, it is. It's entertaining. It's entertaining and educational at the same time, right? Elon Musk. Do you see what he's recently done? How much no. t- Tesla shares he sold? No. And given it was like some ridiculous amount, we need a Jamie to look this up sort of thing, but it's like nearly $6 billion. I'll look it up, but he's given away $6 billion to end world hunger. Wow. Donated that to a charity because uh, again, people were firing at him for a while saying like, Hey, you got all this money. What are you going to do? And he essentially put out a tweet and he was like, yeah, I'm happy to, I'm happy to do it, but I need to know like, what are you going to do with all the money? Are are you actually going to end world hunger or are you just going to take all the money? Anyway, administration fees took up 5 billion of that. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I don't know, I don't know the whole story, but it's come out that he's donated like $6 billion worth of Tesla shares to a charity, an undisclosed charity um, to end world hunger. He's like, all right, well, we can fix that. Right. Virtuous. The stuff that he's makes is, the stuff that he's working on and creating is incredibly useful and it's hilarious. Like people are loving that a car can like do a dance. Like it's pleasurable. Like, so here's the thing. Maybe that is the factor of a good idea. And it's kind of got a little bit of evidence that if you hold virtues at the top and you can do something really quite useful and you can have a bit of fun along the way. Yeah. You probably got a pretty good recipe for success. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Aquinas. Who would have thought? Good, Thanks, good, Quinny, good. Quinny. Quindog. <laughs> the Quindog. But back to NFTs, because, uh, oh, actually. Yeah, how about this, Steve? Explain it. Here we go. For people that have heard, we've heard said NFTs about 17 times now. We've said COVID about five times, so we've going to lose a lot of viewer, viewership there. That's okay. We're at negative four views. We're at negative four views. Explain NFTs in the most basic way you can to the to the audience at home that has is only just heard about it recently or even just maybe even the first time on this podcast explain what it is we mean Uh, and where and i think between steve diff and myself we'll be able to ask some pretty basic questions and then drill deeper when we don't understand we'll sort of pretend like we want to be the audience i think that'd be really helpful for all involved yeah dig in steve explain it in the most basic way you can yeah and i need to put a little asterisk on this by no way am i an nft expert okay like i'm just Digging I don't in. think I really don't think anyone is at this I don't stage. think anyone is right, but I, I I've been doing I've been dwelling a fair fair few hours in the in the space and uh, speaking with people that kind of really know it well and yeah I'm learning a lot and it's um I'll just go from the get saying it seems inevitable that this cannot not be the next evolution of the internet okay so that's what we're really kind of talking about here is we're talking about the next evolution of the internet. Um, If you remember getting AOL when you were, when I was what, six years old or whatever it is, uh, seven, no, what was it? Yeah, about six, seven years old. And you get that dial up internet. You're like, ooh, what's like before search engines. Do you remember this one? Like AOL, you just like, before we even knew how to navigate. Well, you used to ask Jeeves, didn't you? I remember asking Jeeves. Jeeves and stuff. Yeah, but when we had AOL dial up, it was just like, you land on this AOL homepage and you, you, I thought that was the whole internet. Like that was it. Like, you know, you could click on news, you could click on photos or you can click on games and it would load. It'd take about seven hours to load a game. Um, but you know, it was a significant jump up from when 
we had DOS based computers and we had to like, when I was playing Commander Keen, I had to do like, oh, see semi- semicolon forward slash forward slash folder command thing to like, you had to, you had to remember command prompts. You yeah. had to remember the command prompts to get to your game, right? It was a significant jump up, right? But anyway, that's that's really what we're talking about today is the next evolution of the internet. NFTs just seem to be a big component. So what NFT stands for is a non-fungible token, okay? And I'm, I'm actually pretty confident that eventually we'll change the term of NFT. I don't think it'll be forever called a non-fungible token. I think in the what same is fungible, as in like you can't fung it. <laughs> yeah. Can't... Okay. Cool. Thank you. That's really helpful. <laughs> I don't know what the definition. Look it up. Look it up. Darcy. Okay. I'll look it up while you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Fungible. But anyway, it's called a non-fungible token. And the same way that social media used to be referred to as Web 2.0, and then we called it social media, right? But it really, Web 2.0, the evolution of web 1.0 to web 2.0 was when we started to develop web-based applications that would use the internet, but essentially have a separate function, a specific function on the internet. Now we've got, how many apps are there? There's an app for flipping everything. So I think eventually we won't call it an NFT. We'll call it something else, probably like a token. Fungible, right? So if it's non-fungible, it means that it cannot be copied, substituted or subdivided. So fungible obviously means something like completely immutable. Like you cannot change this thing at all. Yeah. One of a kind essentially is the simplest way of describing it. So what an NFT is, a non-fungible token, it's a one of a kind, irrefutably proven, one of a kind digital asset. Okay. So we've all got mobile phones, right? We've all got iPhones or whatever in your hands right now. I love my phone. Your iPhone would have a serial number. If you go into the settings and then you go into serial number, right? It would have a unique code, essentially. And it'd be a big old long digit number letter text thing to say that my iPhone, Steve Clayton's iPhone, is the only iPhone that is it. There's only one of this, okay? Mm -hmm. And we get it with physical items. It makes sense. Right, we can say there is one, you know, your car diff. It would have a stock number or a serial number or a chassis number or a VIN number. I got a VIN number. Yeah, I've tried to grind it off, (laughs) (laughs) right? And that is essentially saying that this is the one of a kind chassis. That's it. And we have this in in so many your house in all physical things. In all physical things, right? All physical things have a a one-time existence, existence, right? That's what they are. Now, if I'm looking at my bookshelf in front of me, where we start to go a a layer deep is when we can replicate something over and over and over and over again. So books, right? I'm going to pull out a book, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. All right, so it's got an ISBN number, meaning, okay, we know that this is just a book and that ISBN number reflects to the book. Mm-hmm. So talking to strangers has a ISBN and no other book will have that ISBN. So we can say that, but how many print, how many times can they print this? Indefinite. Indefinitely. But would Malcolm Gladwell essentially have an original manuscript? Yeah. Or would yeah, there would. be a first one off the printing press? Yeah, well, there'd would. be a first one off the printing press. The original manuscript is digital. And so how do you define an original digital thing? Welcome to NFTs. 
Right. So imagine, so instead of it going copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, save as, save as, save as, save as, right click, save as PNG, right click, save as JPEG. And we could have infinite replications of them. What if we had a unique number beside every single time it was replicated so that we could categorically say the first book off the printing press or the original manuscript we could categorically say non-fungible, non, no debate anymore. This was the one of the kind. This was the first of its time. Which perhaps explains why NFTs started in a kind of an art land, because that's the thing that makes the most sense as an illustration. You've got, I could have a, I could have a replica copy, a poster of the Mona Lisa in mm-hmm. my house, but there's only one original Mona Lisa. And because this is a physical thing, we know that that's the original, that's the real one. But in di- the digital world, it's very difficult or it's been impossible to prove what is the original because you can just copy and paste it. And you're literally copying and pasting the entire thing, everything there. So how Infinitely. do you know what the original is? Exactly. And it's a perfect copy. Absolute perfect copy, right? So now through NFTs and the blockchain. So the blockchain is essentially where web 3.0 really takes shape, right? So the blockchain is this crazy, crazy amount of code that it's all peer reviewed for lack of a better term, meaning you can't just chuck something on the blockchain. You need to have lots of other people for lack of a better term, all saying, yes, that is Malcolm Gladwell's first edition. So no one can stuff around with it and play silly buggers with it, right? No one can do that. It's like, imagine a hundred thousand people all standing around Malcolm Gladwell as he goes, file, save as, that's the original. And everyone's like, yes. And no one will dis- no one can disagree with it. It's like, yes, that is the original. That's what blockchain technology is. It's essentially this massive computing code crunching craziness. So in Bean, the ultimate disaster movie, what Mr. <laughs> Bean actually does is screw with the blockchain of Whistler's mother. Uh, absolutely (laughs) there's the illustration (laughs) there's the illustration right so the blockchain essentially means we can put a code or a serial number for lack of a better term against a series of digital assets so we could say okay let's say i don't know what's an artist we can think of modern day artist or banksy or something like that banksy right so banksy goes all right i'm going to make some digital art and instead of everyone flipping, ripping it, off, ripping it off and posting it to their Instagram account, which you can do indefinitely, I'm only going to make 10 of these in the same way that an original artist might paint 10 paintings and then that's it. Now with NFTs, now with the blockchain, Banksy could say, I'm going to make 10 of these uh, pictures. You can have the copy. You can have the fake. It's like going to Thailand and getting a Rolex. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're cheap. You can have them now. There's all, everyone have it. But someone will have the original 10 stamped in the blockchain. You'll be able to see that it left Banksy's account and went into your account diff. And that is a public ledger. It's a public transaction. Everyone in the entire planet can see. Banksy sold 001 of this painting, digital painting, to diff. And so the argument against NFTs and by saying, well, anyone can have a copy of it, copy and paste it, here it is, is kind of the same as the argument against actual paintings. 
where you say yeah. anyone can have a copy of it. And yet we drive hundreds of kilometers and pay lots of money to see the real authentic version. Yeah, yes. we want to see the originals. We care about the originals. And it's the same Pe thing. People value what the OG is. They really do. It's the same way like you're wearing a Rolex, right? And you've got, a, you've got an actual authentic Rolex. And then you've got some dude that's got a perfect replica. And some of them are literally like amazing. You like to the, to the, to the untrained eye, it's, literally, it's the same. People will always value what the actual original is versus the copy. Isn't it the psychology of that fascinating? Because if I wear a fake Rolex, no matter how much people come up to me and go, oh, nice watch, man. I know, you know it's a fake. It's, it's fake. Yeah. Yep. And not it's only like, that, yeah. but whatever cred you get with people for it is destroyed as soon as they find out it's fake. Mm -hmm. Even though the thing itself hasn't changed. Yes. Yep. That's nuts. Okay. So I've got a, um, uh, what's the word? Devil's advocate question here. Um, and this comes from probably me from, I don't know, maybe three months ago when I first started learning about NFTs, this is one of the first questions I've since learned about it. I've since come somewhat through the other side and be like, ah, oh, I get it now. But early on my original, um, predicament with this would have been like, isn't that stunting the growth of the internet? Like, isn't the whole idea of the internet that it, that it is infinite and that we can replicate over and over again. And there's no shortage of the ability to, to, spread information with each other yep. um, isn't doing this sort of putting a limit on how quantum the internet can be. Which is what we actually want. You know, it's the classic opposite effect going, going ahead again, you know, now that information is so, and I saw Nat shout out to you, Nat. I saw you put a little post out and it was really great. It's like, we're at the information, we're at the height of the information age now where there is so much ridiculous amounts of information it's unlimited that the quality of the information is diminishing at the same rate of its expansion. Mm. Right. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like people want limits on stuff now, not in a traditional sense, but like, Hey, if anyone can get a PNG, eh, now it's got no value. But if I could have one of 10 PNGs, mm. now we've got limitations back on it and we actually want that. So same thing with music, right? When, you know, the Napster days where, you know, it was just like, you just got to copy, copy, copy. Remember the little piracy, a whole problem with piracy is like you, you know, you put a little VHS in your VHS player. It's like FBI, they're going to come and break into you. You're going to die. Yeah, yeah. It's like piracy is a you crime. You wouldn't steal a car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're like, hey, mate. Making you... a bunch of assumptions about my character that yeah. I... <laughs> It's like, yeah. it's exactly it. But we were happily burning CDs and, you know, passing them all out, right? Oh, I wasn't. Were you, Dip? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to choose not to comment on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a tidy little side business going as a student. <laughs> yeah, right. um, but like, honestly, the, the blockchain technology would have, would have solved so many problems for people ripping off music because you could essentially limit the digital sales, essentially to say, in the same way you'd um, print a certain number of CDs and then that's, that's all there really is. You could no, but hold on. Look, just for clarification, I still could have ripped off the CD. The best I could say is that it's not the original because I can still take a screenshot of that's an true. NFT that's worth 40 K. I'm just, it's just not the actual NFT. That's all. Yeah. But I think in the future with web three, there's going to be ways that you cannot listen to that music unless you have a token. Yeah, wow. and there's possibility for that to happen. Meaning, imagine yeah, that makes sense. Imagine that music was locked behind a token-enabled Web three website, 
you had to buy a ticket or you had to buy a token to listen to the album. And of course you could, you could, you could still put like, a microphone next to or, my speaker. Yeah, mate, yeah, and and of stuff. course people yeah. are going to do that, but it's the same sort of thing. It's, it's like, there is this kind of weird uh, link of personal brand with limited asset with real utility. Like, and that's where we're going to see a lot of. Yeah, so let's talk about the utility factor because the art stuff I think is, the value is perceived, you know, it's agreed upon value. Okay. Which we, is all, anything. we all agree that this is valuable. And so we're going to, yeah, it, it's not, well, it's not anything. I mean, yes, in one sense, it's anything, but some things have value uh, more internal to what they are because they, they give a return of investment than art right now. Art can give you an ROI if you can sell it on just like an NFT can, but there's potential I would imagine for NFTs to be able to give, other returns other than just you sell it because at the moment nfts are worth money because people have paid money for them exactly at this stage and, i mean one people of these, are willing to you know the, the what are they bought eight yacht club didn't one sell just yesterday for was it 25 million dollars 25 yeah. million us dollars yeah it's for it yeah although that's the, the original crypto crypto punk yeah and this crypto is the part where i'm just million. like this is the part of the nft world that i just think is nuts and you know as a coming at it from an ethical perspective, I think it's almost kind of disgusting. But then at the same time, unless I've got the same qualms about the art world, which I probably don't, then I'm, the I'm being a hypocrite. Well, it then is, what do yeah. you think is the difference, Diff? Like what, okay, if I, you I, could take a moment to sit with it, what do you yeah. think is? One of the things about NFTs that I think really grinds against people is the quality of the art. <laughs> so I've got no problem with <laughs> Michelangelo's yeah, Pieta or you know or, or or david or whatever be you know the statue of david being worth a lot of money because of the artistry the mastery the expertise the time the the historical value all of that stuff being into it but you know like if i just took a photo of one of my kids scribbles and put it online it shouldn't be worth money like it doesn't deserve to be worth money and i think that's one of the problems it's the same thing a problem i've got with kind of postmodern art of the early 20th century I like Storm would be can. loving this oh yeah and, so, and, mate, oh. so i mean there's 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 if it's the art is always an interesting thing and and really what we're doing is we're getting down to the core of what is beauty and whether or not art needs to be beautiful whether or not art needs to take mastery or whether art can simply be perceived value and postmodernity said that Basically, one of the things it wanted to do was blow up all of these old ideas of the past. And, and one of the ways that it did that was to say, no, this is valuable simply because I say it's valuable. And it taps into nominalism versus realism, big medieval argument in the 14th century, all of this stuff, right? But at the end of the day, I think, I think built into people is the idea that a piece of crap art shouldn't be worth money. I think, I, I think most people, until they've been are either indoctrinated or uh, enculturated into believing something different. I think people recognize that. Put it this way. My little kids, my, 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 I got four daughters from from age eight down. Um, they recognize good art and crap art immediately. I don't need to tell them. I'd never had to. This is a nice <laughs> picture. That's not a nice picture. Or mm. that's not even art. That's just a, 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 an artist did a poo into a can and sealed it up. That's not art. That shouldn't be worth money. A literal real thing art by those. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Actually, real happened. art. Real art. Yeah. yeah. There's. Uh, I wish. I, I mean, if Stora is listening to this podcast right now, he knows who he is. He know. He, he knows my personal opinion on this. Steve, I'm sure he's heard part of your opinion as well. But yeah. uh, it all ended the day for me that I saw a, a McDonald's bag 
on the ground, sort of just, you know, floating in some wind or whatever for, I don't know, probably nearing $15,000. I yeah. thought that'll, that's enough for me. That's I'm, it. Yeah. I'm check done. it out. Humanity. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done yeah. here. It's done yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that's the thing. That that's I was before talking about the my my internal hypocrisy between art being worth money and NFTs being worth money. Maybe if they were just and and I think we talked about this the other day as well uh, when we were talking about NFTs that there is real skill and mastery and art in the blockchain technology. I don't doubt yeah. that. And yeah. so if and so if CryptoPunk was a was made by someone who made the technology for NFTs, then it deserves to be worth the money that it's worth. Absolutely. Mm. But if someone five years later put together a crappy bitmap on paint, you know, if, if I got all my old BMPs that I made on paint, they're not worth anything and they don't deserve to be worth anything. That's yeah. my argument. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's interesting because like, um, you know, good old Logan Paul, he was asked one day because he's big in obviously all sorts of collectibles, Pokemon cards through to, you know, obviously big in the NFT space now as well. But he was asked, you know, like, how do we, um, how do you, how do you pick a winner? Like, how do you, how do you determine what, what projects you're going for? He said something really interesting. And I think it's what we're speaking to here with the whole artsy fartsy weird sort of stuff. He just said, is the project defining when it comes to culture? And when you think about the big ones right now, crypto punks, there's a whole bunch of kids out there that know that this thing's going to go to the moon and it's not going away. And the crypto punk kind of is the culture of what this is. I was a crypto punk. I was in it when, I was, mm. when everyone didn't believe in it. So it's like, it's not surprising that a weird little PNG that doesn't look like, literally any old kid could make it's not great art it still speaks to culture in the same way Good that a, yep in the same way that, that a mcdonald's sense. bag is speaking to a subset of culture and they're probably you know talking about consumerism and it speaks to them in a way yeah so there's like going to be said, value I mean, in that i i just talked about at least one piece of art and there's two or three others that are that are pivotal in the post-modernity kind of art movement and the fact that i'm talking about the artist can of poo 80 years after it happened or Marcel Duchamp's The Fountain 100 years after it happened is a pretty good indication of the fact that it actually it actually had a huge impact in culture. Yeah. And Bored, yeah. Ape, Bored Ape Yacht Club, if you have a look at their NFTs, of course, they're all apes, but you have a look at them. They're all like also repping like Louis Vuitton and Supreme and, all, and it's just mm. speaking to this whole major like consumerism of like high-end brand and, and how that Re- represents who we are in the world like the all the rappers with their gold chains and their big diamond grills and it's like look at me i'm i'm killing it right that's speaking to a subset of culture mm. but there is 98 percent of the nft project right now are utter dog shit like they're just for lack of a better term <laughs> it's just rubbish like i'm, I'm scrolling through open sea a lot and i'm like there's nothing in this. There's no value. There's no utility. It's not speaking to culture. You're just piggybacking off the success of something else. You're sure. a copycat. You're a me too. And all of those are going to go to zero. They it's will. interesting the what you say about that. See, I've checked out some NFTs and I've gone looking for particular NFTs. And it's amazing. Like I'm a, I'm a collector of, you know, like signs, autograph stuff, sports memorabilia. Yeah. I love all of that stuff. Like my favorite thing that I own is the sign Dark Side of the Moon, signed by Roger Waters. Like, if my house is burning down, I'm running in to grab that. And that's about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but for me, I went looking for a number of them. Um, for example, I wanted to know, could I own the song Time by Pink Floyd? 
off dark side of the moon? Could I own the original NFT of that? And no one would necessarily even know until, you know, our, our wallets become public and all of that. That's all down the line. But I'd know that I own it. And for well, some they reason, are, that's they are worth, public. They are public now, yeah. yeah. Um, but for some reason, that would be valuable to me to own. For example, another one is NBA Top Shot. Now, I know that as far as you're concerned, Steve, they're not necessarily on a... No, they're, on, they're still on, an NFT. They're still, they're still on absolutely. blockchain, right? Yeah, 100%. Yep. Great. Okay, great. So that you can basically own... A, bas- a digital basketball card with a video on it showing particular things. Now, there's this particular shot that Chris Middleton took in the in the 2021 NBA Finals when the Bucks won the championship. And it's like the last shot that he takes, it puts us up by about five points with, I don't know, 40 seconds to go. So it's pretty clear we're on our way to a, to a championship. And I want to own that moment. I want to own that shot. Everyone loves like the Giannis dunk and the Giannis block. And like, that's brilliant. But I feel like that was a moment in the game. To me, this is all my internal dialogue. That's exactly. a moment that I feel like I noticed more than other people. Therefore, I want to own it for me. Does that exactly. make sense? Exactly. That may or may not be true, but to me, it's true. No, it is. It's the same reason why you're buying memorabilia right now. You Like literally before we jumped on this podcast, you pulled out your Sydney Swans 2017 signed jersey, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. would be pissed if that was fake. Yeah. Yep. It's the same thing. It's the it's same just now that we live. It's just now that we live in a digital world, how do we prove that you don't have a copy of something? How do, you, how do we prove within your subset of culture, hey, I've got that, I've got that particular piece Interesting, of culture. Isn't it? It's actually more valuable in the digital world. It's more provable. It's undeniably provable. And this is what Gary Vee talks about. He's like, you, there's so many people that spend a crap load of money for stuff in their home that nobody will ever see, <laughs> but to them, it's valuable. He says the same thing in the digital world. It's now more valuable. If we're talking about the psychology, which is, I know Diff's going, nah, 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 nah. but like, it's true. People buy most of the stuff that they buy because of how it links to a personal identity and a mm. projection of that identity. Yeah. Are you disagreeing, Diff? Oh, I'm not disagreeing. Is this a disagreement? Oh, a disagreement. That's a new term. I like that. <laughs> I disagree. No, look, I don't. I don't disagree <laughs> that this is true. I just think that I have problems with it. Like I, I'm, I'm interested philosophically, anthropologically, in what it means when we say statements like "I want to own," and I want to be the only one that owns this moment in time, this thing. And I want people to know that I own it. Like, I just think all of that speaks to some weird, and you know, look, I know you just said that, Dar, so I'm not having a go, right? But mm. because I can see this as part of humanity, but I'm just like, okay, what part of humanity is that? I feel like it speaks to a strange instability of identity, of, of a kind of a, a reaching totally. out to try to grab and hold on to something that that anchors me as to who I am and my value and all this stuff. And, and I recognize that buying stuff and having things as an extension of our identity is normal. It's almost inescapable. How would you possibly escape it? You know, you've got to own, you've got to wear a shirt. And so your, your choice of shirt, unless you have Mm. so completely abandoned, and this is the monastic tradition, right? People, you know, they actually, they actually completely devoid themselves of any of these kind of identity anchoring uh, possessions in life. And they allow everything that they that they do, everything that they are, to be defined by an external force, by God or by their, you know, by whatever their, their monastic tradition. 
but in general it was it was only when i when you started expressing it in that i want to own this thing that my kind of thou shalt be god your happiness yeah, started yeah, to yeah, rise yeah. you know because it's like totally a, it. what's going on there inside us that says i must have this thing and and somehow me who i am is connected to this thing and then i want to prove it to people that i've got this thing mm. do you think it's a dominance thing steve like do you think it's a i think it's I nothing just... more like i think you could take it to a really dark place if you want and, and that's true and like, that's where some... i take things I'm and sure. there's like there's some people that are literally like you know they spend their entire lives trying to prove to other people that they're something or someone and i think that's when it gets really dark and messy I think 90% of people aren't thinking like that. I think it's just nothing more than a creative expression of what they find meaningful. That's it. No more. It's just, yeah, I it's find just this that, meaningful. that identity anchoring thing that can get dangerous. Yeah. Define but the if, identity if... anchoring. Like what's at what point, for example, let's say someone buys a um, Pokemon cards, a uh, uh, massive, you know, an original Pikachu for whatever. Mm-hmm. A bazillion um, dollars. A bazillion dollars. Define the identity anchoring in that, using that as an example. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I guess it's a question of, okay, you said before that your signed copy of The Dark Side of the Moon would be the thing that you would save if the house was burning down. You know, In, and, in jest. In yeah, jest like, oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, what would you save? Uh, you know what I actually honestly would save? More yeah. than anything other than family members and friends, et cetera, yeah. non-people things. I would honestly probably save my computer because that helps me do my best work. And there's sure. so much on there that I need to be able to continue to do my work. I would I would let the dark side of the moon burn, no problem at all, before my work stuff. And I reckon, okay, yeah. so I reckon it's not just work stuff on your computer, I'd hazard a guess. There's like, there's, uh, you, 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 you might, well, I mean, if you're anything like me, in some ways, I kind of live my life now through my computer because of the work that I do and contacting people all over the world or whatever like that. Yeah. Um, the most common thing that everyone always says, well, what would you say when your house burned down is the photo album. And I just think that speaks directly to identity because mm. we identify through our relationships with other people. Mm. And so what is the... Um, what is the identity anchor thing going on in someone buying a, a, a rare Pikachu card or whatever? Look, if you never told anyone about it, then maybe there's less of an identity anchor there. But even then, I think it would change the way that you think about yourself. And we've all, we ha this happens to us. You make a purchase, you make a new purchase, you get a new car. For a while, you're driving this car around and you're like, yeah, man, like you feel like a new kind of person, you know, like you got a different mm. thing going on for a while and then it becomes <laughs> old and all of a sudden you're just the same old person again, but you got an old dirty car. So it's, it's inescapable in one sense that we, how do we see ourselves? And I guess that's what I mean by this identity anchor. Do we see ourselves as independent from the things around us? And even then, I don't think we can. Secondly, do we see ourselves as independent from the people around us? And again, I don't think we can, nor do I yeah. think we're supposed to. Yeah. And so this idea of identity is always anchored in other things. Even for a super religious monastic person, their idea of identity is anchored in God it's all and in service to God, you know? So it's all about me and the other. If the other is a person, a deity or an object, it's always anchored in other things. That's kind of what I mean by the, the anchor identity. What if, okay. So take, for example, I know um, you enjoy, uh, you, you enjoy NFL, you're a big NFL fan. Mm. You've got an England, uh, New England Patriots jersey. I'm yep. sure of it. Do you have more yep. than one? Uh, two, yep. You've got two. Would you say, would you say that sort of 
hinges on this same line of thinking? Yeah, okay, I mean, you'd, so, wear, you'd wear a jersey. You, you want people to know you're a New England Patriots fan. It's interesting, you know. It's a really good question because actually I haven't worn it in years. Um, because Why haven't you thrown it out? Uh, I haven't thrown it out because it cost me a lot of money. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think I bought it at a time that I was like, that'd be cool to own one. Like, I'm a fan. I should own one. Like, that's weird. What, what, what sort yeah. of weird external pressure did I feel to own one for a start? <laughs> All of my mates who are NFL fans, they've all got one for their team and their favorite player. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have to get a Tom Brady <laughs> friggin' jersey, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I and then I did, but I haven't worn an NFL jersey in three years. And even if I did, it would be once a year when I watch the Super Bowl. And yeah. I haven't thrown it out because I'm I'm tight and I don't throw anything out unless I can help it. Mm. Um, but the reason that I made the purchase, I think upon reflection is, is one of these identity kind of purchases. Mm, that is such an interesting. And, fact. and I would say it's not one that I feel like I need anymore. And therefore I don't wear it around. Like I don't, I don't care if people know I'm an NFL fan or a Patriots fan. I don't give a stuff. No, but I think what we're still speaking about is that it's not. And I think this is where people are getting really stuck with NFTs and like, ah, it's, it's a PNG of a flipping ape. What the heck? Right. I think it's the convergence of three key things and I think they're unavoidable and they're all linked. The first is identity. We make decisions based on the identity or the projected identity or how we see self in relation to others. Mm. The second part, which is the relation to others, is how does this make me fit into a tribe of some kind? Mm -hmm. You buy a jersey of a sporting team so that I now am family or part of a tribe Mm -hmm. and this token... Jersey now allows me to project an identity. I'm a Tom Brady fan within Mm. the safety of tribe. But then the third part, which you just mentioned, even albeit small, is utility. I get to use it on Super Bowl day. It has a purpose. I use it for something. Mm. And anyone that's in anything right now, if they believe in it, it's the convergence of all three. It helps with my projection of identity. I feel a part of a tribe and it has some form of utility. Yeah, I'll back that. Yep. Yep. I bought crypto for all those three reasons. Yeah. And I think it's why we buy anything. You buy a new car. Okay. It has an element of identity. It has an element of tribe. I drive this brand, but it also has utility. It's not just something that you put in the garage. Even if you put it in the garage, the utility is when your mates come over, you're like, hey, mate, check it. What's in my garage? Yeah. You're still getting something out of it. It always has a form of utility. And I think what we're trying to get is the balance of that. At the moment, people are looking at PNGs and go, what's the utility in that? Well, there the people will say it's going up in value. Yes. The reason why you buy sports memorabilia, it's going, it's got to be worth something in the Pokemon cards. Man, if I could own the original Pikachu, add 20 years to this, and that this this tribe still around, man, that's gotta, there's got some utility in this. It's gotta be, there's gotta be some value in there. Try this on for size though. And I, I'll back those. But I would I so I got a Bucks jersey signed by Giannis right? Framed up from the championship year. I will never, ever sell that ever. I have no, it has no utility financial wise. Perhaps there's utility maybe from like a social thing. Maybe the utility is, well, if people came around, they saw I've got the Jersey and then. Yeah. Why don't you put it in the cupboard? So the the utility doesn't necessarily have to be uh, practical or measurable. So to speak. No, it's got a use. The utility can be invisible. It's just got a use. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. And nice. you can, and you could probably, you could probably articulate its use if you're really honest. Yeah, nice. Yep, I'll back that. Meaning, cool. like, you hang it on the wall in your office, so that when you walk in there, 
you're like, huh, I like that. Or yeah. if it's in tribe, if it's more linked to the tribe thing, someone comes over and like, bro, that's sick. Yeah, I'm a Bucks fan too. And you're like, yeah, identity, rah, rah, tribe. Yeah, yeah, rah. yeah, nice. yeah the they, also, they all converge massive. on each other. Yeah. Like, yeah, they, nice. they all, I, and I think save, they're unavoidable. They're yeah. all linked. If I had to save something from my house, I'd have no hope because I'd want to save my library. <laughs> I wouldn't be yeah. able to carry it out, right? But for me, I mean, if I'm going to be really honest about the thing that I like, I, like I'm getting a farewell gift from my previous employer. You know, what do I ask for? I can ask for something decent amount of money. I just want books. I want Amazon, an Amazon card, you know, uh, to a certain value so that I can just buy books. And that for me, when I realized that was a pretty interesting indication for me of the thing that I am really valuing. And I do think that there's, what do you write in your profile on LinkedIn? What do you write in your profile on Instagram or Facebook? Like, that's it. Like, how do you define yourself is right there. And chances are you're going to be valuing physical things that emulate that. Yeah. And people awesome. find it really hard to do. Really, really hard to do. Um, describe themselves on an Instagram bio. I find it near the, I find it near impossible to write an Instagram bio. So hard. LinkedIn's easy because the utility is there. It's got a defined utility case, which is mm. we're in business. So I get to talk about business. Mm. But when you're talking mm. about a personal profile, flip it's hard because you're like, what are you right? Mm. I reckon that'd be really interesting if we all shared like all the different different versions of personal profiles that we've written for different <laughs> different things. They're all different for yeah. sure. They're all completely different. So going back to the utility side of things and why I'm going all in on the NFT world is because what the blockchain technology does, which means it's irrefutable, stamped, it's, it's a one of a kind. It also unlocks essential uh, coding. Essentially, it allows you to access parts that unless you have the token, which is the NFT, you can't get in, which creates utility. And this is why I'm going all in on NFTs. I believe in the future, when you go to a sporting match, you go see the beloved Sydney Swans, that will be blockchain technology. Because mm. how many scalpers are out there doing fake? Oh, tickets? yeah. Yep. So imagine you can't get into the grounds unless you have an irrefutable blockchain stamped token that is has a serial number. Can't replicate it. Can't copy it. Can't do a really good... Uh, you can't do a really good control C, control V, control P printout. It's impossible. You cannot do it. <laughs> and so the utility of Web 3.0 is NFTs are essentially going to become tickets to things. And that's why I cannot see this not working. At the moment, we're in the wild, wild west. It's mostly based on identity with very little utility other than we hope it's going to go through the roof and it makes me feel like a part of a tribe but the utility will catch up and it's web 3.0 and it's tickets to things. And this is why Gary V has nailed it when he did his V friends. It's a very simple model. Really. When you think about it, he said, okay, we're going to launch V friends. And all he did was like draw crappy pictures. Like, you know, when you're talking about eight year old drawing something, that's what a V friend is. It's like an eight year old's drawing. Right. But what he did is he tied it to utility. Meaning if you want to attend the annual V conference, and you want to get into that conference, the only way you can get in is with a VFriend NFT token. Go figure. He sold them for like an 
one ETH when they first minted. About 1800 bucks. Yeah, help now, me out with ETH. So Ethereum is essentially a, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. But the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is Ethereum was the, the OG, the original gangster when it comes to writing smart contracts. Meaning, so it wasn't just the currency that we could trade back and forth together. We could also tie the, the, the currency and the trading of the currency to a smart contract. And a smart contract, I'll, I'll give you a simple example. Let's say I'm Banksy, right? Banksy's uh, an artist and he launches his, uh, his 10 pieces of art. What Banksy now can do on the blockchain is he sells uh, 001 Banksy to Diff for $1,000. And then over time, Banksy dies <laughs> and the, the value of his art goes 10 times. And now Banksy's worth $10,000 through a smart contract. If Diff sold that Banksy to Darcy, the Banksy family trust would get a 10% royalty on that sale. And Meaning then 10% forever, again if it's sold again. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again forever. And my belief is in the future, there will be inheritance based on smart contracts. <laughs> there, this is so huge for the, for the creative world, isn't it? Musicians, artists. And that's it's normally, that's normally wild, where things are spearheaded through the creative community and then the rest of the world catches up from a utility point of view. But it's a really big deal that actual creators can continue to own the benefits of their products increasing in value. Because right now it's like, no, no, you're owned by Warner or whatever. And that means they make all the money and they give you whatever you want and the contract expires and that's it, you know. Companies like that would be quite afraid right now, I would say. Well this is the power this is where the power is coming back to the people. Yeah. And it's because there's been such large power imbalance. People go, no. Enough of this. Let's decentralize this. Let's make this peer peer reviewed. Let's let's get the power back to the people, and that's essentially what kicked this thing off. But where it's where it's moving is the idea of of smart contracts. So the idea that you might own a PNG, but what if that PNG was tied to a smart contract? So you could have a copy of it. Sure, everyone could have a copy of it, but the smart contract might pay, say, dividends. And only the people who have the actual originals get the dividends. You could have a copy of it and chuck it on your Instagram, but you're not getting paid any dividends, i.e. like investing in a company or something like that. So there's so much utility in it from an identity point of view. So it seems like the value becomes the combination of NFTs and smart contracts going forward. And real world utility. And real world utility. Yeah. And Even if that utility is just dividends, but it can also be access to things like you say. Yeah, example. Like, who's your favorite author, Diff? Oh, geez, that's rough. Um, just pick a modern, a li- someone who's alive today, right? Oh, that's really hard. Uh, I'm gonna. Do you receive it, Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson, right? Yeah. And what, what what's he written? He's he written he recent fantasy book, stuff. Fantasy stuff, right? Cool. So, in the traditional world, um, he would have to sell the rights of the book to a major publisher. A publisher would go and distribute that book all around the world. He would get a very minimal cut of it. And then he has to go churn out another one. Yes. He could keep doing that. But imagine if he launched an NFT project with 100 original, one through 100 tokens of original manuscripts. 
blockchained, timestamped, one of a kind, you've got number 33 of the book and you get early access to it. People that are getting really smart about this is imagine, because there was the original book signings, remember those type of things? Mm-hmm. Imagine if you bought one of his first 100 tokens, you got early access to the book, but you also got access to the author and you could spend 15 minutes asking him a question about the book. And every year he donates 15 minutes of his time to hang out with people. Or there's a particular event, a book club. And once a month, you can jump on a Zoom call with him. And it's, you know, such and such as book club. And if you're a token holder, you get access to that in the real world indefinitely. And then if you sold that token to someone else, let's say his time increases, same thing, but he would get a royalty of it. So this is where it's like creating such a new game for people to be playing if they get creative. And they can tie what I believe real world utility to the NFT tokens with smart contracts with web 3.0. So web 3.0 is imagine there was a part of the website that you could not get to unless you had one of those tokens, one of those book tokens in your wallet Mm. and you couldn't get in any other way. That's the world that we're moving towards. One distinction I made that really ties this together nicely as well is, uh, and I was talking to you about this, Steve, you clarified this for me, was that fiat money helps us buy assets in the real world, as in yep. cash helps us buy assets in the real world, i.e. money, uh, sorry, i.e. cars, houses, etc. cetera. Yep. Uh, and then in the digital world, i.e. the web 3.0 world, you're more looking at spending or using cryptocurrencies in that Correct. world. So that's Correct. sort of the two... So Web 3.0 is when things like Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, XRP, Potential Ripple, et cetera, they, that's when they'll actually start to take on more utility is when this whole world starts to get built out that really currently isn't mainstream in any way yet. Is that right? 100%, yeah, 100%. So a currency has to have three things for it to operate. And we've done this since day dot, by the way, when we were trading goats and camels for flipping bread or whatever we're doing. It's the same thing. It's never changed. This is just how trading essentially works. So for a currency to operate, the first thing it has to have is agreed value. So if we both looked at a $50 note, all three of us go, that's $50. Okay. (laughs) If one of us said, nah, that's $5. Okay. Currency doesn't work. So it has to have agreed value. And this is why the whole NFT world is going off its head at the moment is the only reason it's skyrocketing is because everyone agrees that it's skyrocketing. Okay. Right. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. And that might not, that might not last forever. Right. But agreed value. We both agree that Bitcoin has value. We both agree that Ethereum has value. We both agree that fiat original currency, the Australian dollar, the U S dollar, that's 50 bucks. We all agree. That's the first step. Mm. The second thing it has to have is store value. Meaning if I get a lump of gold today, next week, it's still around about the same value as it was last week. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't invest in it, right? Because we'd like it to go to zero, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And this has happened with currencies when inflation goes through the roof and all of a sudden, you know, post-war Germany, you needed literally like a wheelbarrow of cash to buy a loaf of bread. It's because- mate, the store value went to nothing, right? Mm -hmm. 
inflated through the roof. Now, this is where this is where crypto is still a little bit wobbly, right? Because there's lots of up and down. In the in the olden days, um, there's only a, a finite amount of gold, so we could all agree supply and demand. <laughs> there's a, only a, a certain amount of it, right? Um, gravel is not as valuable as diamonds because there's a crapload of gravel. There's not many diamonds. Well, so as they don't release too many, right? So that's <laughs> the whole thing, right? So and that's that's traditionally, if you're if you're looking at like the the Reserve Bank announcements and interest rates have stayed the same. That's essentially what they're doing is they're they're pulling levers based on what is supply and demand, mm. and that changes the value of something. Now, in the crypto world, how Bitcoin has done it is there's only a certain number of coins that can be mined. And once they're mined, that's it. Then we actually break them down into what we call Satoshis, which is a which is as equivalent of you can break $100 down into $101 coins. Gotcha. Right? And we can break it, break it, break it down. But it's still, there's a finite amount of it. So therefore, we can, we can play with, with that from an economic point of view. But the third thing, and this is why I also believe that you know, crypto punks are worth a gazillion dollars, even though they're just the picture, is it has to have exchange value, right? If I had um, a whole bunch of currency and you're like, man, I'm not accepting that currency. I'm not exchanging anything for it. Well, now the currency has no value. And this is why people don't get it. Like you need to learn how to spend money just as much as you learn how to make money and save money. Why? Well, if you've got all the money in the world in a bank account, but you never know how to exchange it, it's actually just as worthless as having zero. Yes. Because exchange value is where money actually takes place, where currency takes place. So in the crypto world, it was very difficult to get any form of exchange value for years, right? And you would see this old bud trading 10,000 Bitcoin for a pizza just because some guy was like, yeah, okay, well, I'm happy to suppose give away a pizza, right? Now that the NFT world is starting to take shape, there's lots of people with big fat crypto balances and they've got nothing to be able to buy with it. You can't go to Coles. You can't go to Woolworths and say, hey, can you, um, can I uh, pay my groceries in Bitcoin? They're going, no, you have to pay fiat. You, you got Aussie dollars? You're like, nah, sorry, bro. Mm. Well, I'm not letting you leave with the groceries then. That's changing. So what we're going to see as Web 3.0 takes off is we're going to be able to exchange crypto for real world things. And as that takes shape, crypto, in my opinion, is inevitable that it's here to stay for that very reason as exchange value increases. Wow. So when you say that you're digging in deep, doubling down on NFTs, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for Outbound, for Bravo? Yeah, well, for us, it's like the token economy to me is very real. And the people that are really going to win out of this is um, linking tokens, let's call them NFTs, to real world value and being able to have that as an exchange vehicle. Meaning we could put out an NFT saying, hey, in the future, if you want access to Stephen Das from a consulting point of view, the only way you get it is if you've got this token. Otherwise, you cannot have it. Or in the outbound world, it could be, hey, as the business grows, you might be able to get, say, dividends as the company scales, but only if you have one of these tokens linked with a smart contract, meaning it's 
irrefutable. It's stamped into the blockchain. We cannot rip you off because mm. it's written into contracts. It's written into irrefutable contracts, blockchain contracts. So I, that's where I'm going all in on it. It's like, I can see that web 3.0 token enabled economies that are tied to real world value, like literal, not like not just fake stuff in the digital, like real actual value. I cannot not see it taking off. I just, it's it, it's it. Coachella just launched their NFT. If you want, you want lifetime access to Coachella Music Festival? Yeah, it was 500 tokens, wasn't it? Or something That's like that. it. That's it. Supply and demand. You limit the demand. You limit the supply. There's only a certain amount. And that's it. You get lifetime access to Coachella. People are going to buy them because that they're banking on it, appreciating over time. And Coachella's got a pretty strong brand and probably going to work, right? So mm. I'm seeing I'm seeing golf membership stuff. Yeah. Lifetime golf membership. But the only way you get it is by buying a token, buying an NFT. And then that actually has lifetime real generational value. And when I went to San Francisco, there was uh, the whole, like the harbor. And there's like a 250 year waiting list on to buy a pl- plot on the harbor to park your boat. And so literally people are writing it into their wills of like, you know, this is this plot, you know, you're signing a 99 year lease. There's a waiting list waiting for people to die to be able to get that plot. Um, we haven't even talked about metaverse today. People think that's absolutely crazy. But if you believe that we're continually working towards a digital world, it's no different to buying a plot of land. Mm. It's just that it's held in a digital sphere. I'm still a bit shaky on the metaverse because it's it's the wild, wild west at the moment, guys. It really is. Mm. But to me, it's the same as when there was naysayers on the internet, there was naysayers on the printing press, you know, whatever. It's You know the metaverse is a good idea because everyone thinks it's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, great, great wrapping a bowl around it all, Diff. I love it. Uh, let's go with your, your, your three cents, Steve. Uh, actually, it's good that Steve, Steve's probably give, give him a moment to think. He's just, yeah, he's got his he, throat he's, is he's sore. I'm cooked. Uh, go ahead, Diff. What, what have you taken away? What's, oh, what am I, what, what is my your one cent? cent? Your yeah, one my cent. one cents are always book recommendations. So, That's good. Um, Make it happen. So, so keeping in mind all of this crazy world that we're talking about, um, <laughs> This is ridiculous. Why don't you check out Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologiae? I like it. If you want to understand about what, you know, how do we understand good goodness and what goodness really means? Um, then yeah, maybe, maybe Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologiae is the tome for you. Love it. I, like uh, it. I reckon this whole, it just sounds like this whole world's just going to bury Diff. Like it's going to be oh, too mate. much for him. And just, I'm going I'm I'm to pay, pay for his funeral in Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah. yeah digitally bury me. That's fine. Yeah. Love it. Uh, my takeaway, Diff, actually comes from you. I, I really want to, um, I mean, it's not so much a practical takeaway, is it? But I, uh, the thing that stood out to me was there was that identity thing around why is it that we want to own digital assets why is it we want to own like we said in the moments of nba top shot or, or own a, an nba jersey or an nfl jersey i'm so interested in that now i've mm. never seen it from that perspective of identity and steve the the things that you had so it was utility yep. tribe yep. and what was the other one identity utility tribe identity 
Yeah. That, and they're that, all linked. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so powerful. That's my key takeaway. That's my one cent for sure. Love it. I'm going to, I'm going to finish off with a really practical one then team. Um, it's for the, the ambitious folk out there that uh, I'll just let you know a little secret, right? Like all, all of my wins in the commercial world, all of them for the last 10 years, I've been in business 10 years now, all of my moves that have led to commercial gains have been early move advantage every time. And there is no excuse if you want to get ahead in life to, to, to not to devote 20 hours of your spare time, which you all have, to researching stuff and figuring out, can I figure out where things are going before the world understands where it is because early move advantage in a pure um, again i'm wearing my business hat right now darcy's done his psychology bit diff's done his philosophy i gotta wear my business hat mm. if you want to get ahead in life you have to learn to have early move advantage it's the way it's the only way you get there you don't have to be right at the front i never do that by the way i'm never blindly jumping into something before it's half proven out but if i can see it's half proven out 50% is good enough for me. If it's 50% there, I'm in. Because that next 50% is where you get pretty safe bets. And so that's that's my that's my one cent. That's honestly being a big part of my strategy for the last 10 years is let the first 50% skin their knees. But as soon as it clocks 50%, go hard, go early, find the early move advantage, and you can get some pretty significant gains. Um, and not all of them pay off. But the ones that do... It's uh, it's worth it. So that'd be my one cent. Well said. Love ripping, it. Ripping sewed, gents. Loved yeah, it. Enjoyed that one. That was that was good fun. So uh, team, we do this every Friday. We drop a new episode every Friday. So, uh, but next free. Friday we will miss. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. Maybe we should bring maybe we should bring the sewed early to the to the another time next week, and we can drop it mm. on the Friday. Because mm. I'm liking the consistency of it anyway. Mm. Uh, but team, yeah, thanks so much for uh, tuning into the pursuit of love. Thank you, boys. Always a great pleasure having a chat with you. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And uh, if you if you like it, if you dig it, smash that uh, subscribe button. Hit the hit the thing, hit the reviewy thing. <laughs> the thing that you, you think the, the thing that you definitely know how to do because so many podcasters have told you in the past what to do and how to do but it. But we're a bit different. Go do that. We're a bit different. We're not telling you to do a five star review. You put whatever damn stars you want. If you think it's yeah. been absolutely just poo put a one star and tell us it's been rubbish we'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts and we'll, we'll put it in a modern art museum and make a lot of money off it digital for poo that's the view <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, team, Tamagotchi poo. team this uh this episode has been sponsored by outbound.game a uh, gamification platform that is taking the world by storm helping people grow in a new way so feel free to check that out if you're interested in growth if you're interested in gamification if you're interested in a new way of doing all things business growth, personal growth, habit changing, uh, outbound.game is where you can check that out. Thank you, boys. We'll see you next week. See you, lads. Cheers.